No one is born a Christian. To become a Christian, we must be born again by water and the Holy Spirit. And so we enter the church as through a door by holy baptism. But if we get into the church by baptism, how, if at all, can we get out of the church? In one sense, it is not possible ever to leave the church, at least completely, because baptism marks the soul with an indelible seal which cannot be removed or erased. But in another sense, it is possible to leave the church by declaring that intention, though most people who forsake their baptism simply stop practicing the faith and then live as though they were pagans. A few people, though, do take the time to make a formal declaration to their bishop that they are leaving the church, while others privately renounce Christ and then follow a false religion or no religion. But there is one other way of leaving the church, and that is by the ancient discipline of excommunication. The most famous cinematic portrayal of excommunication is in the splendid 1964 film Beckett, which tells the story of a deadly conflict in the 12th century between Thomas Beckett, Archbishop of Canterbury, and Henry II, King of England. These two men are engaged in a contest of wills over the right relationship between the church and the crown, and Beckett excommunicates a baron because of his role in the murder of a priest who was accused of a crime. The excommunication is a turning point in their dispute, and it leads eventually to the murder of the archbishop in his own cathedral. The scene is beautifully set in the film and is popular today on YouTube, not least among those who wish that more bishops would excommunicate Catholics who cause scandal by their wicked behavior or false teaching, but who also loudly proclaim that they remain faithful Catholics. But as satisfying as it may be for several pro-abortion and nominally Catholic politicians to be excommunicated, the reality of this ancient discipline is both much less dramatic and much more important. Our gospel today is taken from chapter 18 of St. Matthew. And here the Lord Jesus gives what we might call instructions for conflict resolution. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have one over your brother if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every fact may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. In this plan of escalation for corrective action, the Savior shows us a way to give everyone multiple opportunities to recognize when they have injured others and to change their hearts, minds, and deeds. But the Lord also allows for the possibility that some people will remain impenitent to the end. 
And Jesus then offers the hard saying that in those cases, it may be necessary for the sake of the common good to end fellowship with those who will not be converted from their sins. After explaining this process, the Lord Jesus then extended to all of the twelve the same power of binding and loosing he gave first to Simon Peter in chapter 16 of Matthew, as we heard two weeks ago. Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In both of Matthew's passages about binding and loosing, the Lord Jesus confers this authority on the apostles so that they and their successors can govern his church with his own authority. And from the first Christian centuries, this power of governance has been exercised by the Bishop of Rome for the universal church and by all local bishops for each diocesan church. The authority of bishops to bind and loose must be exercised only for the common good, and in extreme cases that can include the necessity of declaring the excommunication of a Catholic who refuses to stop doing grave harm to the body of Christ. But this happens only after many prior efforts have failed to restore peace in the Church through conversion and reconciliation. Like every human society, the Church is governed by a body of law, and bishops govern their dioceses in accord with the Church's law, which lays down strict conditions under which Catholics can be disciplined in a variety of ways. Most sanctions provided in canon law are designed not to punish people, but to help them heal. And such is the case with excommunication, which is used as a medicinal penalty. The intent of the law is to follow Christ's instructions on correcting someone who sins against the community in the hope of leading that person to conversion, to amendment of life, and to reconciliation with God and his church. As we sang in the gospel acclamation just a moment ago, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, the only motive for using sanctions like excommunication is love. Love of God, love of his holy word, love of his holy church, love of those harmed by the offender, and yes, love of the errant soul who needs to be called back to the true fellowship of all the baptized in order to live the life of grace in Christ Jesus. And such love is what St. Paul describes in today's second lesson from his letter to the Romans. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The love of which Paul writes is agape, the self-sacrificing love in which God became man and laid down his life for us on the cross. And only this kind of love is the fulfillment of the law. That is why a lawless heart cannot ever truly love anyone. A lawless heart can only desire selfishly and such desire seeks to take from others, not to give to them, as love does. The mystery of lawlessness lives in every human heart after the fall from grace. 
and it can be conquered only by the Passover of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which the human race is redeemed from the grave and restored to the freedom of the children of God. But when those who have been baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ refuse to live according to the grace of their baptism and live instead according to the mystery of lawlessness, then the church's pastors have the sacred duty to teach, to warn, and to admonish them in the hope of awakening in them the obedience of faith in which alone we find our true and lasting freedom. But if they refuse every effort to be restored to full communion with the church, then the last resort as an act of love is to declare that by their own conduct they have excluded themselves from the fellowship of believers. In other words, they are excommunicated. We should never rejoice in the excommunication of another because that means the church has failed a brother or sister in Christ. We have failed in our duty to teach them the truth of the gospel as was promised on the day of their baptism. We have failed to help them understand and embrace the goodness, truth, and beauty of the life of grace. We have failed to help them walk in the way of the cross, which is the only way of life for those who believe in their hearts and confess with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if someone is guilty of denying the revealed truth of the word of God by their words or deeds, and if they are leading others to do the same while still insisting that they remain faithful Catholics, then for the salvation of souls, and in the manner prescribed by the prophet Ezekiel in the first lesson today, the church's pastors have a sacred obligation to act in love and to warn the sinner, both for the sake of the body of Christ and for the salvation of the errant soul. And if the church's pastors fail to speak the truth and warn the lost soul, then through Ezekiel, the Lord declares to the unfaithful shepherds, I will hold you responsible for the sinner's death. So the church's pastors must always speak the truth for the good of souls and even for the sake of their own salvation. Friends, the supreme law of the church is always the salvation of souls. And every use of discipline in the teaching of the gospel and the celebration of the sacraments is in the service of helping souls to know, love, and serve him who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the good shepherd and our great high priest, our savior and redeemer, the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord, Jesus Christ. <laughs>